If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philemon. We're going to begin a series today. We're going to look at it for the next four weeks on the ripple effect. You saw that guy in the opening video or DVD presentation. You saw him. Uh, There's no ripple effect from his life. Basically, his relationship with Christ really is, well, just about non-existent because it's just all religion. There's no relationship. There's no life to it. And I'm convinced, friends, that that's what our calling is. It's not, we, don't, we don't just experience a religion, but it's all about a relationship that when Jesus comes to live in us, it begins to develop or should be developing these concentric circles that flow from us and affect the people and influence those around us, whether we're talking about work, school, our family, our life, our church. We want to talk about that for the next few weeks. You know, a lot of people live life <clears throat> this way. They have a tendency to, they come up to some water, they're going to get into it, and they stick their toe in it, and their foot, their ankle, up to their knee, step back out because it's too cold, and then they kind of work their way back to it. You've ever seen people, how many do it that way? Yeah. How many of you would say, just, I'm going to run from the side, I'm going I'm to get myself into a big cannonball, and I'm just going to splash That's how you do it. Yeah, some of us are that way. And you know what that does? That causes these wonderful ripples and it begins to touch everybody. And I'm convinced, friends, that's how we do Christianity. That's how we follow Jesus Christ. Is that we really, you know what, we go all out. We don't sit there and just have all these little kind of, well, you know, I kind of believe in God, but he's not making any difference in my life and in those around us. So many people live with a whatever. So what? Same old, same old lifestyle and mentality. And I think God calls us to so much more. He calls us to a personal destiny. He calls us to a life of significance. Not prominence, but to a life of significance to make a difference, to influence, to touch people around us. So I want to talk about that. I really want to do a personal talk to you today and very practical in what we're going to talk about covers a few different areas, and we're going to look at this book called Philemon. Now, just a little bit of background. It's, I call it a postcard because uh, the letters in the New Testament, the books in the Bible of the New Testament are often called letters because they were literally letters written by people like Paul and Peter. And these letters were sent to churches, and then those churches would read them to the church. They were to exhort the pastors and to exhort the people on how to live out this thing called Christianity. They'd read them to that to one church, and then they'd send them to all the other churches in the, in the region. And they'd all read them out loud to the people around them. But this is a totally different one. This is the only one in the New Testament that has such a personal touch and flavor to it. And so Paul is writing not as an apostle to bring spiritual authority to a situation, uh, but he comes on the basis of friendship. And as he comes, this little postcard drips with care with compassion and emotion. And through it, you're going to see the passion that Christ has for his people and the passion that Paul has for the people of Christ. He begins to talk, and he shows the picture of how Jesus relates to us as he relates to Philemon. Paul doesn't just talk about how Jesus relates to us, but he models it. 
And we'll be talking about that because it's so powerful. We see that as Jesus has infected and infused and lives in the life of Paul, he says, I've been so touched by it that there's concentric circles of Christ that, that emanate from him, that touch a number of people. And this letter is about a plea for Onesimus. Paul is writing on behalf of this runaway slave who has come to know Jesus Christ through his ministry. And so Paul is writing the person that literally owned him as a slave and says, I want you to receive him back. So as we read this letter, just kind of pick up on some of that flavor. And you'll also notice the positive nature of Paul's writing. As he writes this, this little postcard, it's full of joy, it's full of positive um, pathos that he has for all of these people. Why is that? Well, because he's a man that is fully committed to Jesus Christ. And it's a great lesson for us. It doesn't matter. You know, some of us may feel like we're in a prison of a marriage. Some of us may feel like we're confined to some circumstances in our lives that we can't change. And yet Paul says, you know what? It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And when you can begin to live at that level, wherever you are, whatever you're chained to, whatever you're confined within, you know what? Life can still have joy as you keep your focus on the right things. So let's read this little postcard called Philemon. Verse one says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. It's probable that, that uh, Aphia was Philemon's wife and that Archippus was his son. They had a church that met in their home. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Begin to catch the spirit of what Paul is saying about all of these people. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Jesus Christ. It's amazing when you begin to talk about what Jesus has done for you to other people how easy it is to remember all the great things and, and to begin to build on all those wonderful things that Jesus Christ has done for you. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the, the hearts of all the saints. Therefore, because of all of these things, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I love that language there. What he's saying is, listen, I'm a, uh, I'm a spiritual leader with a lot of spiritual authority. I could tell you to do this. But I'm going to come and I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. Isn't that really always the best way to get things done? To work with people on the basis of love versus position? I then as Paul, an old man now, also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He says, I led him to Christ while I was in prison. Paul is under 24-hour uh, arrest here in prison. He's probably chained to a guard. And so he's saying, while well, I've been chained to a guard, God intersected our lives and I was able to lead him to Jesus. Now this is interesting. Onesimus' name means useful. So Paul here is going to do a little play on words. He says, formerly Onesimus was useless to you. 
when he was your slave. He, he wasn't that useful to you. Uh, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Verse 12 says, I am sending, to, uh, sending him. He is my very heart. He's literally saying, I am so close to Onesimus now. He means so much to me, literally. As I send him, uh, I'm really sending myself, Philemon. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But uh, I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Again, see how he's kind of greasing the track here? Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. See, nobody wants to live in a slave relationship, but everybody wants to live in relationship. And he's saying, now that he's coming back, as he no longer is your slave, he comes back now as a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. You begin to see the heartbeat of Christ here, what Jesus has done for us. Verse 18, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I'll take care of it. I'll pay for it. Whatever he's done, it's on me. And then Paul says, I am writing with this with my own hand. He says, I'll pay it back. And then parenthetically, he adds this statement. Oh, and not to mention, though, that you owe me your very self. Why? Because Philemon was probably led to Christ by Paul. And so he says, you know what I've done for you. But don't worry about that. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. For I am confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Three simple things this morning, and, and these are very practical, personal, and uh, I believe will be a great reminder for us as a church about the ripple effect of Christ's life on Paul, Paul's ripple effect because of Christ, and a reminder to us of how our lives are to have a ripple effect on the people around us. And the first application I want you to see is the personal application. Paul's thanking Philemon for all that he's done, and he's thanking Philemon, and he's thanking all of these people that he's writing to, and says, thank you so much for the heart that you have for Jesus Christ, the heart that you have for one another, the heart that you have for people. We're, we're sitting here this morning. I thought about for second service having everybody just come together and sit right next to each other in the middle, but I didn't want to make everybody uncomfortable. Did, do you know everybody around you? Do you have their name? Did you get their name earlier? It, you, you should have. If you didn't, w would you get it now? Really, take a minute. If, if there's somebody around you, you don't know their name, you need to get their name. Go ahead, turn around.
Okay. See, friends, one of the things that bleeds through this postcard, and, and many of us forget about the tenderness and the power behind the relationships that we have. You have to understand, Paul hasn't seen or talked personally with these people in years that he's writing to. He didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Facebook. He didn't have cell phones. He didn't have a 737 that he could jump on and go see him. And so his heart is moved at the memory of these people, the people that he prays for. He says, you're on, you're in. You're on my mind, you're, you're in my heart. And then he quickly moves to talk about this runaway slave whose name is Onesimus, and this slave is laboring with him. And then he begins to mention a number of other people as he closes this letter. See, this, this letter just bleeds relationship, community. You see the wonderful camaraderie and the tie that that God has developed between these people. You pick up on the spirit and the joy of Paul as he writes to these people. It isn't just some kind of a clinical, hi, how you doing? This is a love letter. And isn't it really true, loved ones, that, that as you grow up with people, as you process life with people, as you go through difficult times with people, as you experience the life of Jesus with people, as you get delivered from things with people, as you endure things with friends and other Christ followers, that when you do it together, there's a, there's a camaraderie? See, it's possible that many of you don't know how much has really been invested in you by some of the people around you. And it's very possible that some people don't know how much you've invested in them in terms of relationship. When do we start thinking about that? When somebody dies. Oh, yeah, wow, Phew, boy, they really influenced me with their words, with their passion, or with this or that, or their kindness. Can I just crowd you a little bit this morning and challenge you to think about those people in this context that have touched you, blessed you, built you, encouraged you, loved you, been with you through difficult times, through good times, celebrated with you, cried with you, rejoiced with you? I received a note this week, Trina and I did, from a, just a precious lady of the church, and she said, uh, Pastor and Trina, I just want you to know how much you, I love you guys and how much you've affected my life and ministered to me. I got that, I read it, and I go, are you kidding me? I won't tell you who it is because she'd never send another one if I told you. <laughs> but I said, you're kidding me. This woman is, is such a woman of God, and she has influenced me. And yet she took the time to just send us a note to say how much we've helped her, blessed her, and loved her. That we've invested in her life. And see, I wonder if some of us today shouldn't do that to some of the people around us. Remember what this whole community brings us, because that's what Paul is saying. I, I know what you've done, Floyd Lemon. I know what's going on around you. I love the people that you're with. Paul's saying, you've touched the deepest part of me. And that's what life together really is all about. I want to challenge us as a church that we don't take these relationships for granted. That every time we gather, we don't just come in and go, ho-hum, another time. 
but that we really begin to see that we are connected, not only here, but into eternity. And when that begins to become part of our understanding, it will change the way that we relate to one another in here. Why is that so important? Great theologian Francis Schaeffer said it this way, our relationship with each other is the criterion that the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. It becomes the final proof. When people come in from outside, they look around here, and they go, what are the ripples that are going forth? What is the experiences that are happening? What are the expressions that are being expressed between these people who talk about the love of God, who say they've experienced the love of God? Is it happening through them to others? And Schaefer makes this profound statement that says, that becomes the proof out there of people coming in. See, why would anybody want to come from out there in here and deal with the same stuff they got to deal with out there? But so often, the church, I'm not talking about this church, but the church begins to act the same way as the world. Spiritual stagnation begins to creep in to our lives individually, and then it begins to chip away at the unity that has bound us together. And pretty soon we start to talk and sound just like people outside of the church. This is my question. When the world looks at you, loved ones, do they see someone who's pretty much looks like everybody else out there, talks like everybody, acts like everybody else? Or are they beginning to see in you a reflection of the person of Jesus Christ? Where the world is competitive and wants to create disunity and confusion, do they see you as a person who wants to create unity and love and, and cohesiveness and clarity so people can really see Jesus? I want to challenge you this week that as you go to the office, as you live in your home, even after church, as you talk to people, what are you doing? See, don't ever treat, listen, don't ever treat the body of Christ, his church, which is people, flippantly. It is so easy to get so familiar with, so same so whatever, that we can become flippant in how we respond and react to one another. Every church has problems. But we need to come together and never be a part of the problem, but always look to be part of the solution. And we see people, we treat, we treat the relationships around us tenderly, respectfully. If we have problems, we deal with them. We don't run off. We come and we take care of the problems that we may be dealing with. See, this is such an important time, loved ones, for the church, for people to be able to see that our message of love and acceptance and forgiveness is clear and it's real. I want to challenge you this week. Spend some time reflecting on thinking about the people that maybe have made an investment in your heart, your life, your soul, your experience. And maybe some of you would be good just to write them, call them, go see them, and say thank you for that investment. Appreciate the body that God has placed you in and the people around you. Secondly, there's a positional application. And this is really kind of a theological 
place to land in verses 8 through 12 and 17 through 19. It's a beautiful picture of our pre, uh, position in Christ as we relate to him. If you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, friends, this is a picture of where you are. And Paul does it beautifully. Now, remember, Onesimus is a runaway slave. In Rome, there were probably close to six million slaves that were runaways. They were called fugitives. Now, that day, slaves had absolutely no rights. They were, they were really repressed and oppressed, hopefully to keep them from rebelling. So we see here that Onesimus is on the run. Now, once he gets caught, he could have been killed. The master could have said, that's it, lop his head off, I'm done with him, and had him killed. Or the second option was he could have had a big F branded in his forehead or in his chest that everybody then would have identified him as such so he could never run away again because if he did, they would take him and, and kill him. Onesimus could have faced these incredible consequences. It's also said here, not only because he was a runaway slave, but Paul infers that, well, he probably stole something, took something from Philemon when he left. And yet Paul does this beautiful Jesus thing, models Christ so perfectly. He says, Philemon, I want you to give Onesimus the same position, the same place in your life and your home that you would give me if I was coming. Can I tell you something? That's exactly what Jesus does for us with the Father. This holy, hallowed Father in heaven. Jesus says, I stand before Terry and the Father and I say, Father, see me. Everything that I have is his. Whatever he's done, whatever sins he's committed, charge it to my account. See, that's what, he, that's what Paul is doing here for Onesimus. He's literally praying, interceding for Onesimus. That's what Jesus does for us. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus is literally at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing? He's interceding for you and for you, for you and for you, and for me today. And then 1 John 2 verse 1 says that it doesn't matter what we do. Whatever we sin, whenever we fail, John says we have an advocate. We have a defense attorney. We have Jesus Christ as our advocate who stands before the Father. And as he stands before the Father, much like Paul does for Onesimus, he says, you know, Father, I want you to receive Terry today. You know, I know he's this and he's that but receive him on my behalf. All the sin that he has done will do. Charge it to me. Ralph, Father, I, I stand before you for Ralph. And don't, don't see Ralph and all his stuff. See me. Charge it to my account. That's what Jesus coming to this earth was all about. It says in Matthew 1 that he would save his people from their sins. His death and his resurrection secures that, that we can have that position as we enter into a, not a religion, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we enter into that, that's the glory and the benefits that we get. This whole new position. And so it's a beautiful way that Paul responds and shows us this powerful picture of Christ. And isn't it true like Onesimus, whose name means useful, but he was not useful to Philemon when he stole and ran from him. 
You and I, listen, we've been on the, a lot of us were on the run for a long time spiritually. We were running from God. We're spiritually bankrupt. We couldn't find our way to God. We couldn't buy our way out. You can't work your way out or work your way to God. It is only through the life and the work of Jesus Christ that that takes place. And just like for you and I, we now become useful. We now become profitable to Father God because of the relationship that we have with our advocate, Jesus Christ. Just a brief historical note. Ignatius was a church father. He was writing one of these circular letters probably 40 years after Paul wrote this letter. And he wrote to the churches and he talked about this useful bishop by the name of Onesimus. Can I tell you something? That should speak to every one of us. When God is at work in your life, there will be ripple, concentric circles of influence that can flow out from your life, not only for this time today, but into the years to come. And God will continue to make us useful, profitable for his works. Secondly, there's a, lastly, there's a, a practical application. Notice what Philemon says in verse 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. This is what you see about this whole letter about Paul. He's all about Jesus. That's why when he's in prison, he can have joy and experience life to the fullness. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Friends, practically, every one of you have a story. Did you know that? If you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a God story. And some of us would say, well, you know, Terry, I, I've walked with God. I've been with God since I was a little kid. That's an incredible story. To be able to say, I knew God early on and I've stayed with God all the way through. But every one of us have a God story. Do you know yours? Could you share it with somebody? There's a father and a son that wanted to plan a fishing trip together. Well, it's a teenager, so he says, hey, Dad, would you mind if I brought a friend to hang out with? And the dad said, ah, no problem. So they, they took about a week or so. They got the camper ready. They got all their supplies and all their stuff, and then they were getting ready for a great time. Day came. They got up that morning early, and they headed to the campsite. They got there early evening, set up the campsite, set up the camper, and were just jacked up and ready. Man, they went to bed dreaming of largemouth bass biting their line the next day. They slept through the night. They woke up the next day. They tried to open the, the camper door, and the winds were gusting and blowing so hard they could barely get it open. They closed the door, looked out the curtains, and out over the lake was just these white caps. Well, trying to put a positive spin on it, keep it all together, they said, you know what, don't worry about it. We'll just take the day off. We got lots of reading stuff, magazines and books. We got some parlor games. We'll just play. We'll tell some jokes. We'll hang out. We will make the best of it. And that's what they did. Went to bed that night again, looking forward to dropping a line the next day. But surprise, the next day comes. Oh, there wasn't any problems with wind that day but they could barely get the door open now because of the ice. So they cracked the door open and there's just ice everywhere and it is so 
cold. Uh, but again, they're trying to put a positive spin, a little smile on the day. Okay, well, we'll do some more reading. We'll tell some of the old jokes again and play some games. But it was very clear that some of the gray that was outside was now coming in to the camper. Well, through the day, things started to happen, and all of a sudden, this son started to notice a few things about his friend. Personality traits. Quirks, maybe. He started noticing, this guy's just a little cocky and a little too loose with his opinions on things. My, he's easily irritated. He always has to be right. He has to be heard and prove his points. It started to get on the friend a little bit. He started to realize his friend was very critical of what others did, how they did it. And he really believed his way was always right and always best. And he realized, too, he couldn't tell him that he was ever wrong. Even though his feet did stink, and he said, you got to take your shoes outside to protect my dad's camper, he didn't like that. He didn't want to hear anything about him. Well, the day went on, and the dad just sat there. He didn't say anything. He just continued to read or play the games that they were playing. But it kind of, kind of ticked off his son a little bit because he expected his dad to kind of speak up and come to his aid. He thought, well, where's dad when I need him? Just trying to take care of everything around here. And pretty soon he started to think, wow, my, I'm starting to see my dad in a little bit different light now too. And he goes, you know, dad, by the way, you know, those eggs you made this morning were pretty runny. And that, and that toast was just a little too dark for my liking. So his dad simply said, well, if you don't like it, why don't you test your hand at the portable Coleman stove? And the son started thinking, my, 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 touchy, 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 are we? Started thinking, it's amazing. Boy, what comes to the surface when you're with people, stuck with them for a little while, isn't it? Well, they went to bed that night, hoping for the best the next day. They woke up the next day to the sweet sound of cascading rain against the tin roof. After a few minutes, these guys were all awake. They didn't even pretend to be civilized and cheerful. The friend became a bigger jerk. The son started jabbing and speaking words to him that put him down and made him feel bad. The dad was upset. The dad was a little bit testy. The son began to wonder, why did I come anyway? Especially, why did I even invite this friend? By now, the dad couldn't do anything right. He was always irritable. The son began to think, hmm, how could such an irritable father have such an even-tempered son? Wow, how does that work? As the day grew on, it was, grew colder, more miserable. Finally, they made the decision to go home. Well, you're probably thinking, well, what does that have to do with Philemon? Everything. See, as you read this little book, this little postcard, this little love letter of Paul, you pick up pretty easily the heartbeat in some of the themes, themes like forgiveness, Philemon, forgive Onesimus, restitution, Onesimus, you need to go back and make this right. Even though we're all Christians now, you need to go back and make it right. Grace, giving him what he doesn't deserve. He isn't worthy to come back to the, to, the, to the home and live. All of those powerful themes. 
But, but those aren't the key themes. This is the key theme, redemption. People coming and knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. It happened with Philemon. He was a rich man who came to Christ under Paul's ministry. Onesimus, who was a runaway, poor slave, who did wrong, comes to Christ under Paul's ministry. And Paul influenced both of them. And it continued to produce concentric circles out from him because of Christ's influence on him. Isn't it true, loved ones, that we want God to do a lot for us? Some of us, we want him to heal our marriage. Some of us, we want him to give us a great marriage. Some of us, we would like for him to work with our finances. Some of us, we'd like for him to fill our checkbook. Others of us, we want him to develop our character. We want him to build better relationships around us, give us the best job possible, give us an ability to relate better. I mean, we have all of this shopping list, what we have for God. And it's not wrong. Those are all good things. Those are all things that God wants to do for us and to us and through us. But sometimes we allow all of those practical things to take the priority of the necessity. You know what that is? Bringing people to Jesus. Because see, having good character won't get you to heaven. Having a great marriage won't get you to heaven. It'll give you heaven on earth, but it won't get you to heaven. And sometimes we become so consumed with these practical things that we forget about the most practical of our call, and that's to reach people with the love, the grace, the message of Jesus Christ. People say, what's the vision of Creekside? What's the vision? Give me a word for the vision. I'll tell you what it is. It's go. It hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It's not going to change. It's Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Before Jesus goes to heaven, he looks at his disciples and he says this. The Holy Spirit is coming. I'm going to give you power. Why? So you can be my witnesses throughout the whole world. Those are the last words of Jesus, loved ones. Oh, yeah, when you come to Creekside, we're going to tinker with your finances. We're going to help you develop character. We're going to talk to you about anger and all of these things that we all want to grow and get better in. But friends, we can never forget we are called to be concentric circles, ripple of people that go forth from in here. And because we have great relationships, growing relationships, loving relationships in here, that we can go out there and do the same. See, this is what happens. Jesus said, I want to make you fishers of men. When you lose sight of the mission, which is reaching people, it's so easy to look around, isn't it? And get just a little bit picky, picky, picky. I didn't like this. I don't like that change. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that. And see, when energy that is intended to be used to reach people outside fishing begins to get encased inside, it gets negative really quickly. It can get explosive, critical. And instead of casting nets to the people that need Jesus Christ out there, what do we do? We begin to cast stones at the people around us. 
Instead of help the hurting, we hurt the helpers. We begin to just see everything through a jaundiced eye, a critical spirit. We become legalistic, rigid, unwillingness to change, disgruntled attitudes begin to rule the day. Let me just give you my first grandfather's story. We had uh, uh, the, the little guy, Isaac Dean, was born on Tuesday evening. Two families are there, and families are fine, but one of the families has some issues within the family. Some difficulties, things that have happened in the last couple of years. Very uncomfortable, but this was amazing. As you go into the waiting room, as you go into the room where the mama and the, and the daddy were with the little baby, you, you would have never been able to see any problems. You know why? Because there was new life. There was a baby a new birth. And when the church is about new life and new birth, it's amazing how our sights can be raised up above the difficulties and the differences and the quirks and the failures and the setbacks because we know what's really important. It's new life. It's new babies coming to Jesus. Friends, people are out there. The fishing is out there. It's where we got to be in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our ministries. You will never be closer to the heart and life of Jesus than when you enter into a relationship with him that touches other people for him. Isn't it true? Don't we most of us love a good story? It awakens the heart. It's, It's the ultimate form of communication. And no one understood this better than Jesus. He was always told parables and stories, took things from common life and made them applicable. I believe that God has literally designed us at the core of our being to respond to a good story. And that's why we're going to talk about this. What is your God story? Whether or not we're conscious of it, you and I, friends, have been invited into God's epic story and to be open and willing to share our story with those around us. All of us have different plot lines. All of us have different, uh, different characters involved, and most of us will have a compelling ending if we finish with Jesus. Poet Muriel Ruckheiser said this, the universe is made of stories, not atoms. And that includes yours. As the worship team comes, this is what I want to challenge you to do this week. Think about your story. Have you ever shared it with anybody? Have you ever taken the opportunity to share with somebody what Jesus has done in you, for you? How he lives with you and made all the difference in the world? There's three points today. Let's take care of this and make sure that we appreciate it as Paul talked about. Let's make sure we're in relationship with Jesus Christ, that we know he's our advocate, that he loves us. There's nothing more we can do to get his love except be a son and a daughter. And then let's be about fishing. Raise our eyes to what Jesus wants to do.